0: Love that team and where they are headed and I'm grateful for, for where, where we as a congregation are going to be able to go because of that leadership and that vision. Um, but if you've known me for any amount of time, which is not particularly long, uh, one of the things you're going to know is, is that I am committed to not doing anything at this church that we cannot ground in God's word. This church belongs to Christ. He's the head of the church. I'll have to give an account to him one day for how I have led it as lead pastor. And I do not want to have to stand before him one day and say, Lord, I tolerated a lot of things um, that a lot of other churches and people were doing because it was a popular thing to do. I want to be able to say, Lord, we did it because your word told us to do it. So if that's the case and it's Next Gen Sunday, is there any biblical basis whatsoever for a focus upon next-generation ministry. Um, you're probably wondering. The answer is yes. And I would invite you to look with me in your Bible at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And I'm going to make you a deal, and I'm going to hold myself to this deal, but you've got to hold up your end of the bargain as well, okay? I planned, and don't get used to this, okay, because this is a special Sunday... <laughs> I planned a much abbreviated message. So again, do not get used to this. It's very abbreviated, like 15 minutes abbreviated. So that, so that, I'm feeling good, brother. So that when we are done, you will not have to say, I just don't have time to go grab a slice of pizza and hear more about that next gym ministry team. So, we did this on purpose. And if you're a guest here today, I'm assuring you, this is not common. <laughs> as the uncomfortable laughter from our regular congregants will assure you. But this is important. We do not view this as just glorified babysitting or child care. This is about the souls of the children that God has entrusted to us. And so I want to invite you to participate and be a part of it. And with that said, invite you to stand as we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This morning, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is God's word to us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. May be seated as we go to the Lord and ask his blessing this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. Lord, your word is so sufficient for the work that you have called us to. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask this in Jesus' holy name, the name that is above every name. Amen. So normally, what we would do on a Sunday morning is we would read God's word By looking at the text, we would look at it in its original context to be sure that we understand what the original author intended to its original audience. Then we'd make several points of application looking to see how that passage applies to all kinds of different people that are here. This morning, we will digress from that a little bit and simply look at one specific point that this passage makes in light of Next Gen Sunday. So let's observe this one key point from our passage. Simply this, God desires for our obedience to him to flow out of our hearts and permeate our homes. Let me say that one more time. God desires for our obedience to him to flow out of our hearts and permeate our homes. So let's break that down for a second and look at this idea of obedience from the heart. As God's people, he desires for our obedience to him to come from our hearts. What does this idea of a heart mean? Within this Hebrew mindset The heart was what we would call the seat of the mind and the will. It was summative of their entire being. It was from the heart and on the heart as the passage talks. It goes and says, the commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. They are meditated upon. They are loved. They are valued. Maybe you've heard the phrase, and it's kind of an idiom, And you've heard people say, in fact, I won't embarrass many people here today, but I'm going to bet that many of you, quote unquote, knew a lot of aspects of the Super Bowl um, halftime show by heart, because many of you were born in the 80s. Those of you that weren't born in the 80s were like, I didn't know any of those songs. Some of you knew them all, and your kids were looking at you like, what happened to mom and dad? And we use the phrase, I know this from the heart. I can repeat it by heart. And what that tends to mean, you know, an officer doesn't come by um, your car after you've been speeding. And you say to the officer, or the officer says, do you you know the speed limit? And you say, I know the speed limit by my heart. Because that, that would be an odd way of framing that because you know it. But it's not something that you've meditated upon, you've repeated, that you've thought about with any type of intentionality. You see it all the time. It's not an important part of your story. Nobody goes, yeah, I grew up in a neighborhood where the speed limit was 25. It's not a part of your narrative. But this idea of from the heart on the heart is, is not that these people just knew things. It's that they meditated upon it. They valued. They loved it deeply, and because they meditated and they loved it and they valued it, they could repeat what God had instructed them about from the heart. This means that what God is calling us to in terms of obedience is not some sort of legal formalism that says, I know it, therefore I do it, but rather I cherish it, I love it. My desire is to do the will of God. I long to do this. I want to please him from the heart. So obedience is not just about outward conformity. We are good at getting at outward conformity, right? There is more to this passage than outward conformity. There's not less, but there's more than just outward conformity. It is a conformity to the law of God, the character of God that springs from the desire of my heart, which says, I want to be like my heavenly father. Thus, as God's people, our desire ought to be to obey him from our hearts. It's one of the things this passage is teaching, but it's not just to obey him from our hearts. It is also that this obedience would permeate our homes. We are to obey from the heart, but obedience ought to be in our homes is the second point that we would see here. As God's people, he desires for our obedience to echo throughout our homes. How many times have you heard, heaven forbid, we have said, do as I say, what? Not as I do. Yeah, see, that's that's kind of a problem, right? Biblical religion does not say, do as I say, not as I do. The parents within ancient Israel didn't walk around going, you do it, but I don't have to do it because I'm the parent. This type of obedience was one that was not only taught, you should do this, but when a child was looking for an example, of well, what does it mean to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? They could go, ah, loving mom or loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is it looks like what mom's doing. It looks like what dad's doing. It looks like what my grandparents are doing. My aunts and uncles are doing. It looks like what my church is doing. And these conversations are coming up within the regular rhythms of a home. Home. The aim is not merely producing obedient children so that parents can say, well, I'm glad that I have good kids. I mean, parents, let's face it, our kids embarrass us sometimes. Oh, they embarrass us. In fact, they can shame us at times. They say and do things in front of people that you cannot believe that they would do. And sometimes there's a tendency that says, I just wish that they would obey. And that is not a wrong impulse unless that is all we aspire to for our children is to be obedient kids that have no heart affection for God. Parents, do you want to raise kids that are outwardly obedient but that inwardly are cold toward the things of God? No. No. We don't want that. We don't want just well-behaved children. That's not the aim here. The aim is not only are we obeying from the heart, but that we are seeing our children come. And as a result of this type of echoing of the things of God throughout our homes, they too come to love God with all their heart, all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their mind as the gospel was going to talk about. Now, part of what you're wrestling with is, preacher, we're exhausted. Raising kids is not easy. And by the time I get home after the traffic that I have to deal with, I don't really want to sit down and have a 10-minute, 15-minute, 30-minute hour-long family devotional. And so you hand me a book that talks about family discipleship, and it tells me this is how you make a disciple. You're going, brother, I don't have that in my schedule. I'm working as hard as I can just to make it home in time to eat with my family and kiss my girls to bed at night. Like, how can I raise children that are obedient from the heart within our homes. You know one of the things I love so much about Deuteronomy 6? Is Deuteronomy 6 does not give us a program to implement, but a pattern to follow. And look at what it says. And press them on your children. And what we want to hear there is this, and that means turn the TV off and sit down with them and make them recite 20 Bible verses, and then pull the family, family hymnal out and make them sing and do all this. Hey, look, listen, please, please, please hear me. If that is your gear and that's your bent, praise God, continue it. We are here to support that, and we are in no way shaming that. I'm just gonna be real honest with you. That's not what discipleship looks like in your pastor's family. It just doesn't. And if that makes you judge me, I'm sorry. I mean, it just doesn't. And you know what? When we've tried it, really what it just ended up in being is we just all had to repent of how bad it was when it was over. We try to do family discipleship and it's like, everybody sit down and open your Bible. You quit touching your sister. You pay attention. Quit playing with your Bible. Sing the song right. Okay, everybody just go to bed. God loves you. (laughs) I told you when you hired me, and I wasn't saying anything like it's a struggle for us. So, how do we raise a child in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Praise God, Deuteronomy 6 doesn't say this is the program and this is the only way to do it. There's a pattern. A pattern to be lived says, impress these on your children. When am I going to find time to do that? When you sit at home. When you walk walk along the road. When you lie down. When you get up. Tie them as symbols on their hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The idea is not that the only time and the only way that you can make a disciple of your children is if you follow this really strict program. But this idea rather that it's a, it's a permeation of obedience to God where within the rhythm of life, while you're headed to ball practice, while you're headed to gymnastics, while you're picking a kid up from school and or taking them to school, You were planting seeds of the goodness of God's grace in their life, praying over them, recognizing fully that you plant seeds, you water seeds, but according to God's word, who gives those seeds growth? God. If you as a parent could give your children spiritual life, you'd have done it the day they were born, but you can't. You know why? Because spiritual life is God's to give. But that's wonderful news to take the burden off of you because if you cannot save them by your own effort, you can turn them over to the one that can. And that means that even in those conversations where it feels like you failed, you didn't fail because you were faithful to within this pattern of life, show them the goodness of the good things of God. Obedience from our hearts, obedience in our homes, talking about the things of God seeing the next generation would come to a knowledge of the truth. Obedience to God is not simply something that we do on Sundays. It is about what happens every day in every place. It's the fruit of belonging to God as his people. Praise God that our status in the kingdom of God is not dependent upon how well we're doing as parents. No, we belong to him, therefore we pursue these things. And we pursue them because God desires for our obedience to Him to flow out of our hearts and permeate our homes. Parents, He wants you to have real life affection for Him. He wants your kids to see that real life affection. And by seeing that real life affection and hearing that real life truth taught to them, we will be obeying what we find in Deuteronomy 6 reflecting God's desire for our obedience to flow out of our hearts and permeate our homes. Two statement applications. What does this mean then? If it's to flow out of our hearts and into our homes, the first thing that this means is that we need new hearts. We need new hearts. This is what Jesus talks about when he tells Nicodemus, are you a student of the law? And you do not know these things unless a man is born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. How is it that we can belong to the people of God? How, how is it that we are a part of God's family? By being born again through faith in Christ. The goal for you today is not for you to just leave and try harder. You'll never try hard enough and make it into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the good news of what God in his grace has done for you. And in his grace, he gives new hearts those that put their hope in him. How do we obey from out of the heart? We need a heart transplant. We need a heart that beats in rhythm with his. What does this then lead to? Not only do we need new hearts, we need renewed homes. We can be so focused upon impacting the culture and society, and we can get so ate up with the elections In politics, we feel like this is the person and these are the policies that are going to change the world. You want to see society and culture change? See families renewed by the gospel. Where does the renewal of the gospel begin in families? With moms and dads having new hearts. Where do new hearts come from? Jesus Christ who gives the new birth. Why does he do this? that we might glorify him and that we might obey him so that obedience flows out of our hearts and permeates our homes. Both of these applications depend upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ working in and through us. We cannot give ourselves new hearts, nor can we renew our homes apart from God's supernatural power. So to respond to this, I would invite you to bow your heads. I'm going to have our prayer leaders come to the front, and what we're going to do as we respond, we're going to respond in prayer. These prayer leaders are available up front for anyone who has prayer needs, but I would just encourage you, if you specifically have prayer needs regarding your own heart being made new or your home being renewed, that you would take this time as we respond in song to come and have someone pray over you and pray for you that can lead you and guide you in what it means to call upon the name of the Lord in faith, you could leave with a new heart today. You could leave with hope for the renewal of your home. Not because you have been now equipped with some sort of silver bullet, but because the goodness of God's grace revealed to us. Leading us to obey out of the heart and in such a way that our, our homes are permeated with the truth of God's word. Father God, I ask that you would do what we are incapable of doing, which is making hearts new and renewing homes through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that tells us that Jesus Christ came into this world, lived the life that we could not live died the death that we deserve to die. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again. And then he appeared to 500 eyewitnesses and then he ascended on high, gave us his Holy Spirit and the promise that I will return soon. You tell us in your word that if we place our trust in Jesus, in his life death, burial, resurrection ascension and soon return that we will have our hearts made new and then hope for the renewal of our homes will truly begin to live because then Christ will be at the center Lord would you move and have holy sway here today you are concerned with the next generation. You want our children to be taught the things that we are taught, to know the things that we know, to love you as we are called to love you. Lord, would you use this time of prayer, this time of response, this invitation, Lord, to begin a work of renewal, revival, and awakening in Copperfield Church. Where hopeless situations, Lord, cease to exist because the God of hope is here, present and working. If you are here today and you need a new heart to call upon the name of the Lord, I invite you during this time to come and pray with someone at the front if you need someone to pray about your home, there will be no shaming. There will be no embarrassment from these leaders. There may be tears. There may be hugs. There may be encouragements, but I can guarantee you there will be prayer. They are not scared of your needs. They have needs of their own. And we welcome you. And we would invite you to receive ministry as the Spirit works through them. Lord God, stir our hearts today. We ask that you would do this praise of your name and the good of your people. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we respond? As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equipped for Good. Thanks for listening.